Good morning. Good to see you guys. Welcome back. I'm glad to see that you guys are still able to fit into your dress clothes. I know for some of you, you were extremely nervous. Uh, I know some of you are disappointed that we don't have the feet rest installed on the pews yet because you've been watching church at home with your feet up. So sorry about that. We don't have that yet. And uh, probably in the next couple of weeks here, we're going to have to have pajama day just so it feels normal, right? But it's good to have you guys back this morning. It's good to be here this morning. Uh, if you have missed any of our messages as we've been going through the book of Genesis online, if you have not been able to watch any of those, we do have those available on DVD, and you can watch them on DVD if you'd like. They're still available online. If you'd like to go to the MedinaFederated.com website, they're still available there and watch those messages, but those still are available. Uh, this Tuesday, we will have a, a board meeting at 745, so board members, uh, make sure you remember that. Uh, here for the month of June at least and probably part of July, we'll still be doing Wednesday nights just online doing live stream. Uh, that'll be at seven o'clock that we do the live stream for that. Uh, John has been putting together a youth group video for the youth and that's been at 5.30 each night that that video is posted. So if you're interested in those, uh, that's what we'll be doing for Wednesday nights. Uh, as we move through this and kind of open things up more, uh, that will be the next thing that we will reopen up is our Wednesday night studies. So that's that's kind of phase two, if you would say, uh, of moving forward. So that's there. Uh, the Care Pregnancy Center bottle drive is taking place, and several of you have asked me about that. Uh, during the shutdown time, we have had people mail us checks, and it's been made out to the Care Pregnancy Center, and we've just turned and mailed those back to the Care Pregnancy Center. Uh, some people have written a check to Medina Federated Church, but have designated some of it for the Care Pregnancy Center. So if you'd like to give towards their bottle drive that way, you're more than welcome to, or you can just mail it right to Care Pregnancy Center, however you would like to do that. Because of the churches being shut down at Mother's Day, uh, they weren't able to put the bottles out and collect the money that way, so they've just been doing it and kind of keeping people mindful of the bottle drive and what it's all about. So if you're interested in that, uh, there's those details. Uh, a couple of things we want to be in prayer for. Canandaigua is our church of the week this week. They've been open since Mother's Day. Uh, they shut down uh, for a couple weeks there, uh, a little while they shut down, but then on Mother's Day they opened back up, so they are doing well. Uh, they are having problems with uh, practicing separation. Uh, there's a few of them that just sat in their old spots. That's just the way it is. That's the way it's always been. <laughs> so there you go. But uh, continue to pray for Canandaigua. Pray for their ministry as they move out of this uh, COVID uh, as well. Uh, Paul Hike is doing better. Uh, he had the procedure and everything went well with him. And uh, he hasn't had to have any blood given these last couple days, so he's doing well. He's been able to eat and do some physical therapy, so he's doing well. I always tease him that he needs to get his ducks in a line, and uh, he says the ducks are now in the field. So they're not in line yet, but they're in the field, so it's a positive thing. Uh, John Mowry, some of you have received phone calls about John. Uh, he is in the hospital in Toledo. Uh, he has uh, an illness that has to do with the lining of his stomach. It's kind of a, an infection in his stomach lining. It's a word, but I can't tell you uh, because of the lockdown. 
but it's, it's something to do with his stomach lining. So he's on medication, is improving, and is getting better, but it is, uh, he's still in the hospital and, and trying to recover. So pray for him. Uh, our missionaries of the week this week are Chris Roop and Matt and Angie Hall. Uh, Chris asked me to take the sell of her car off of our prayer list because uh, she's going to be stuck here for a couple more months. Uh, she was supposed to be going back to Paraguay on June 1st, and they're not letting any, I guess Brazil is flaring up now, and they're not letting any flights leave Brazil or come into Brazil, and that's where her connecting is. So she's going to be here with us for at least a couple more months. Uh, Matt and Angie Hall are in Papua New Guinea, and things are opening up for them, and they've been able to visit a few churches in the area and uh, reopen a couple of churches since they've been there, so things are going good for them, so continue to pray for them. And we want to continue to pray for Tamu and Kaori Kawiki. Uh, Tamu's dad is in the hospital in Japan. Uh, Japan never closed down. They've still remained open, but the hospitals are only allowing one visitor at a time in, and it can only be one visitor. You can't change uh, people. It has to just be that one visitor. So his brother has been visiting his dad, and uh, so just continue to pray for his dad and, and, and remember his dad and, and Tamu and Kaori as they minister as well. All right, as we begin, let's just go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us, and Lord, we are so grateful that we're able to be here this morning and worship this morning, and Lord, we just pray that your anointing would be upon our time together, that we would worship you in a worthy manner. Father, we think of uh, Canadagua, and we're grateful for that ministry, and we do just pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead and direct them as they try to get on their feet and minister through this COVID virus, and Lord, we're thankful that they're open and doing well. We do pray for Care Pregnancy Center as the bottles continue to come in and the finances come in to meet their budget needs, and Lord, we just pray you'd be guiding and directing there ministering through this, Lord, and we pray that all the funds that they need would come in. We do pray, Father, for Paul and just ask that you'd continue to minister to him and the recovery process, and Lord, we do pray he'd be able to come home soon. We know it's going to be a couple of days yet for physical therapy to kick in, and so, Lord, we just pray that as he continues physical therapy that he would gain strength and be able to come home. We thank you that they've figured out something with John, and we do pray that this medication would help him, and we pray he'd be able to come home soon as well. We think of Chris, and Lord, with not the plans that she had, but we do pray, Lord, you'd minister to her, and Lord, we know that everything is under your control, and so, Lord, help her to use this uh, extra time at home in a wise way. We pray for Matt and Angie. Thank you that they're able to get back into the jungle and begin visiting and encouraging people, and, and Lord, we thank you for their ministry as well, and just pray special blessings upon them. We pray for Tamu and Kaori. Uh, we think of Tamu's father and ask that you'd minister to him, and we pray for his recovery, and we just pray you'd minister to Tamu and Kaori as they minister to their uh, the people that they minister to, Lord. So guide them and direct them. Lord, we're so grateful for who you are, so grateful for your son, Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning to you all. If you stand, we'll begin our time of worship and song. This is going to be so much easier because I'm going to be able to hear you guys. Okay? So let's sing it out. With wisdom, power, 
When I was a kid, sometimes my parents would uh, abandon us and they would leave us to stay with my aunt and uncle. And my aunt had this picture in her living room and when you walked into her house, you would see this picture every time. And the picture said simply, if life is a bowl of cherries, why am I stuck in the pits? And I used to see that and I used to think how true and how accurate that phrase was. And sometimes we look around and we feel that same way. If we listen to some people, uh, they tell us just how good the cherries taste. But yet as we look around, it seems like our bowl is just full of the pits. We don't get to sample the cherries very often. And you know, as, as we hear people talk and as we hear them share about how good the cherries taste... As they talk about the cherries, they don't talk about the pits. So we begin to wonder if it's just me that enjoys or tries to enjoy just the pits. Why does it seem like I always miss out on the cherries? This morning, our journey through the book of Genesis continues. And this morning, we're going to stop and look at Genesis chapter 37, verses 12 through 24. Now, as we have begun chapter 37, our focus has changed from a focus on Jacob to a focus on Joseph, and we are looking at the life of Joseph. And as we move through the rest of the book of Genesis till we get to chapter 50, our focus is going to be on Joseph. We see him as an individual and see how God is working through him. Now, as we look at Joseph and we see the life of Joseph, we see that for Joseph, life was full of the pits. And as we come to this passage, we see that Joseph is literally in the pits. And as we think about that, as we think about that and look at this and apply this to our own lives, sometimes as Christians, we think that life has no pits. It should not have pits. If life has pits, why is God angry with me? Why is life so rough for me? There shouldn't be pits. 
And if you tune into some pastors, they'll teach and they'll share with you that if we're truly following God, life is nothing but cherries, that there's never pits. But as we look at Scripture, we see that Scripture teaches us something different, and Joseph is a prime example. So as we dive into this this morning, there are three headings that we're going to use to lead us through this. The first thing we see in verses 12 through 17 is the searching for the brothers. And then in 18 through 22, we see seeing the brothers. And then in verses 23 through 24, we see seizing the brother. Before we delve into this, let's just pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. And Lord, we truly are grateful to be able to be back here in your house and to be able to sit under the teaching of your word and to be able to sing. Lord, we're so grateful for that. I do just pray that your anointing would be upon our time together as we look into your word. Open our ears and our hearts and our minds and let us hear from you. Father, we are so grateful for who you are, especially grateful for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now, as we look at this this morning and as we dive into this this morning, the first thing we see here is searching for the brothers. And this begins in verse 12. It says, now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. Now, as we look at this, Jacob is now living in Hebron. We saw that the last time we were uh, together as we were watching online. Jacob has made his journey uh, out of Padan Haram, and now he is in Hebron. That's where he is. That's where Joseph was at when he had those dreams that he shared with his brothers in the first part of chapter 37. And we see him now... We see him shared here that his brothers went to pasture their father's flock in Shechem. Now, in our study through Genesis, we have seen Shechem before. Shechem was the place where Dinah was defiled. Shechem was the place where Simeon and Levi took vengeance on the community of Shechem and destroyed the community of Shechem. And so that's where they are. Shechem is about 60 miles north of Hebron. As we think about Joseph going to Shechem, he's taking this 60-mile journey to go there. Now, I pulled out my, my uh, Google Maps, and I searched cities within 60 miles. And Novi is 60 miles away from the center of Medina. This right here is the center of Medina, by the way. 60 miles. And so on Google Maps, you can see how long it takes you to drive, you can see how long it takes you to ride a bike, and you can see how long it takes to walk. If you are walking to Novi, it is 24 hours straight walking time. So anytime you stop to take a break, it adds to your time. I think it's 23 hours, 59 minutes. You can test it this afternoon just to see and call me tomorrow afternoon and let me know how long it took you. And I think that's the interstate too. I don't think that's taking back roads. I think that's walking the interstate so you can go faster. Okay, 24 hours. So he makes this walk. This is where he's supposed to go to take this 24-hour walk to Shechem. Now you think about the brothers as they've been feeding the flock. They've just been moving from pasture land to pasture land. So they've probably been gone for a little while, making that venture, letting the letting the their flocks uh, partake of the of the of the the uh, feed that's there, and they keep moving their way across. And so that's where they're at. And it says in verse 13, 
And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So Israel decides to send Joseph to go check on his brothers. And as we look at this, we're reminded of the relationship that Joseph had with Jacob. Jacob is here. His brothers are out taking care of the flock 60 miles away, and he's home with dad. He's home with dad while they're out working. Now, dad asks a rhetorical question. Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? He knows that's where they were headed. He knows that's the direction that they were going in. And he wants to send Joseph to go check on them. Now, as we think about this, it's an interesting thing because we know that Jacob knows how much his brothers hate Joseph. The brothers hated Joseph. And as we've moved through chapter 37 so far, we've seen their distaste for him. Genesis 37 verse 4. But when his brothers saw that their fathers loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So Jacob had to have seen their dislike for Joseph because he can't even, they can't even speak peacefully to him. Verse 5 of Genesis 37. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. They couldn't speak peacefully to him. They hated him before. He has a dream. They hate him more. Verse 8, Genesis 37. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? That had to do with the dream. Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more. So hated him more, hated him in verse 4, hated him more in verse 5, hated him even more in verse 8. Genesis 37 verse 11 says this, his brothers were jealous of him. So we see this animosity that the brothers have towards Joseph. But yet Jacob is going to send Joseph anyway. He could have chosen to send a servant. He could have chosen to send anybody else, but he chooses to send Joseph. And notice what happens. Come, I will send you to them. And Joseph said, here I am. Joseph knows how much they hate him. He's probably had a peace of mind at his house for a while, not having to deal with all of his brothers. I'm glad they're gone, Dad. Just let them be. I don't want to talk to them. But Jacob calls Joseph and says, this is what I want you to do. And Joseph says, here I am. As we look at the life of Joseph, it's amazing how often he is just willing and ready to go and to be obedient to his father. As I read this, thinking about this, I couldn't help but think about God the Father sending his son into the world. There are many comparisons as we move through the life of Joseph, comparing him with Jesus Christ. There are many comparisons looking at Israel or Jacob and comparing him with God the Father. And this is one of those comparisons. God the Father knew what was going to lay in store for his son if he sent his son. Remember the the uh, parable that's in Matthew 21. The landowner planted the field and made everything planted and made everything ready. And some renters came in and began to rent the property. 
And when it was harvest time, the landowner sent some slaves to the renter to collect the harvest, a portion of the harvest. And when the renters saw the slaves, they beat them. Some of them were killed. Each time the landowner would send another slave, and the same thing would happen to the slaves. Finally, it says this in Matthew 21, verse 37. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. And we know that they did not respect his son. In fact, they killed his son. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. God the Father knew that was going to happen. Jesus knew that was going to happen. And Jesus said, here I am, send me. And we read that he came and he took on human flesh and he was killed as a slave, as a servant. He died on that cross as a common criminal. He didn't even put regulations or stipulations up saying, okay, I'll go, but the only way I'm going to go is I want to be a 6'8 NBA player. I want loads of money while I'm there. That's my demand. And I want a no trade clause. I will not be traded to the Sacramento Kings. He didn't do that. He came as a servant. And he didn't say, okay, I'll go, but I'm going to die in my sleep because that's how everybody wants to die. He didn't do that. He died on a cross in agonizing death while people cursed him and beat him and abused him and yelled insults at him. That's what Jesus did for us. Jesus was willing to do that for us. Joseph is willing to go and check on his brothers because that's what his father asked him to do. Joseph, in this instance, is certainly a picture of Jesus Christ. John chapter 12, verse 27 says this. John 12, 27 says this. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Jesus came, fully obedient to the Father, willing to come, didn't come against his will. He came following and carrying out the Father's will. Now look at verse 14 with me. It says, so he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word Jacob seems to be concerned about the well-being of his sons. May have, been done, may have been due to the location they were in. Shechem was a rough place, and that's where they were going. Um, what if something arose up against them in that area? And so he sent Joseph to check on them, that he, they would bring back word. And Joseph was to bring back word as to their well-being. Joseph was trusted to bring back an accurate report to Jacob. Joseph has done that before. We saw in Genesis 37, verse 2, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilphah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. So Joseph was willing to bring a report to the father, and it would be an accurate report. And so now Jacob wants a report from Joseph on how the brothers are doing, what they're doing, with them being in Shechem, what are they up to? And so he sends Joseph to check on them. 
And it says in verse 14, so he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. So Joseph heads out and he heads towards Shechem. Verse 15, a man found him wandering in the fields and the man asked him, what are you seeking? I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, they have gone away, for I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Now Joseph is wandering in the fields looking for his brother, and he happens to come across this man, and this man realizes he's looking for something and directs him, questions him, and then directs him in the way. And he shares with them that they've moved from Shechem and they've moved on to the area of Dothan. Now, Dothan is 13 miles further north. So if you take off your shoes and you add that up, that's 60 plus 13. That's 73 miles. So he's gone to Novi. No one's been there. And he's walked another 13 miles. So this is probably another day that he's made this walk. Now think about Joseph for a minute and put yourself in those shoes. You've just walked this distance of 60 miles. They weren't there. What a great opportunity to turn and go tell dad, couldn't find him, not on me. But Joseph goes to find his brothers. Now, there's an interesting thing. 1950, archaeologists began to dig in the area, and they found the city of Dothan. And as archaeologists uncovered Dothan, they discovered that there was a major trade route that went near the city of Dothan that headed to Egypt. No, 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 no. God is in control. He is searching for his brothers, and God has a plan. God is working behind the scenes here. Joseph doesn't know it. We question why would Jacob send Joseph? This is all part of God's plan. Even going to the region of Dothan is part of God's plan. So look at verse 18. After we see Joseph searching for the brothers, the brothers see the brother. Verse 18. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. So the brothers are there taking care of the flock, someone probably on watch, watching to make sure that nothing comes and takes from the flock and they notice someone walking to them. Maybe he's in the coat of many colors, and they say, hey, that looks familiar. That's got to be Joseph. Maybe as they watch, they recognize, and they can see and tell by the way he walks, that's our brother. We would go hunting often when I was a kid growing up, and my Uncle Kent would come with us, and we used to make fun of my Uncle Kent because he walked like a penguin, uh, feet both out, and he... That's how he walked. And so we would look and we would see the, the, the hill on the other valley, across the valley, we would see him walking. And my dad would say, yep, that's Kent. Uh, and you could tell because he'd just be plodding along, making his way. So I imagine as they see Joseph, they know this is Joseph. They see him coming. And we can see how bitter and angry they are towards their brother. Because as soon as they see him, 
They conspire to kill him. Hey, we are 73 miles away from home. Nobody's going to see anything. We can pull this off. Jealousy, envy, bitterness, anger, hatred have been simmering in their lives over these years. And it is at a boiling point. Nothing has been done in these boys' life to turn down that fire. Jacob has done nothing to cool it down. In fact, Jacob has helped turn it up a little bit with his being uh, a favorite, Joseph being his favorite, doing special things for Joseph. He's helped turn up the fire. The sons of Jacob have not turned it down. They have not realized envy in their hearts. They have not realized bitterness in their hearts. They have not repented and turned to God and sought help for those feelings. And it's just built and built and built. Have you ever noticed that weeds are much easier to pull when they're small? Isn't it so awesome when you pull it up and it's just barely hanging on, doesn't even take any energy at all? You still get hungry pulling weeds, but it doesn't take much you let them grow for a week or two or a month. It's a different story, isn't it? You pull it up and you realize on the other end of the vine there's the coronavirus because it's in China. You see it hanging on the bottom of it. That's how long that root is. Especially those little maple seeds. Aren't those cute when they circle down until they land in your flower bed? They go one season unnoticed and then you've got a six-inch tree sticking out of your flower bed. And that thing's rooted to the basement. But if you pull it when it's small, it's easy. Wouldn't it be nice if this only happened during Old Testament times? Wouldn't it be nice if only in the Old Testament do we see the seeds of jealousy, envy, bitterness, anger, hatred taking root? Wouldn't that be nice if we as Christians never had to deal with those? You know, sometimes as Christians, it can be that way for us. Sometimes we ignore the seeds. Well, it's just a small piece of anger. It's really not that bitter. It, if I don't do anything with it today, it'll be okay. And we leave those seeds, and those seeds begin to take root. And we downplay those seeds Ah, it's not that bad. And then one day, we come around the corner of the house, and we have a maple tree growing. It's nothing but anger. And that root goes down to the very foundation of our souls. And we can't uproot it. And it's just laying there. This is where they are. And this sprouts of jealousy, these sprouts of envy, this bitterness, this hatred, has done nothing but grow into a blossoming tree of hatred. And now the fruit of this hatred is this ploy or this desire, this plot of murder. That's where it's gone. We sometimes think about how small and how unimportant those things are, but that's what kind of fruit they produce. And that's the fruit that's being produced here. Now look at verse 19. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer, this hatred that they had towards Joseph was there prior. And now this uh, dream that he had has, has stirred up 
and has made it even bigger. This, this bitterness that they have is bigger now because of these dreams. This dream has increased their hatred. Now, the dream was a message from God. God gave Joseph this message. One day you're going to rule and your brothers are going to bow down before you. You're going to rule over them. This was a message from God. But this message from God made them hate Joseph even more. They hated the message and they hate the messenger. And now they're ready to kill the messenger. Temptation is now knocking at their door. Temptation is knocking at their door saying, you know what? We need to kill him. That's the temptation they're now facing. They've given in to envy. They've given in to anger. They've given in to bitterness. And now the temptation of murder is knocking at their door. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Wait a second here. You mean there's been a temptation to murder prior to this? What about Cain and Abel? This is nothing new. This has been a temptation that other people have faced. And when this temptation comes knocking at their door, they don't recognize it. No temptation is overtaking you that's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. You see, when we're driving down the freeway, or we're walking to Novi, however it is. When we're in the left lane, it's hard to get to the exit. Too often when we are in the midst of our temptation, we're in that left lane just enjoying life. When we face temptation, we need to be in the right lane looking for the exit because it says that God won't let us be tempted beyond our ability. With the temptation, he'll provide the way of escape. With the temptation, he'll provide the exit. But we've got to be walking with God so that we're looking for that exit. So when the temptation comes, we know to get off the freeway. These guys have been riding in the left lane, and they're enjoying it. Because they're in the carpool lane, they can go faster. And they're driving past the exit. Too often... When we let those little things build, that's the result. We fall into sin because we've ignored the temptation. We've said, you know what, I can handle it. It's just a little weed and it's kind of cute. And we let it go. They've allowed this anger to boil over. They've ignored all of the other temptations. And they move on. Verse 20 says, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him and we will see what will become of his dreams. Their plan has hatched. They are now acting on their anger. This thought of murder did not come out of the blue. It's been something that's building. It's been simmering. What will become of his dreams? These dreams were given to Joseph by God. And they say, <laughs> what will become of those dreams? We know these dreams were from God. And they gave Joseph a picture of the future. And we may look at this and think, man, these brothers, 
they're going to derail the plan of God. But you know, as we look at this, there is a reminder here of the providential hand of God. I talked to you about it a little bit ago, but the very plan of Jacob's to send Joseph was part of God's providential plan. For them to be in the area of Dathan, part of God's providential plan. This scheme that the brothers are making to bring harm to Joseph, God will use that plan. God will use their scheming to fulfill his own plan. Romans 8, 28 says that God causes all things to work together for good, to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. God is in complete control. Even though they think they're making these plans to thwart God's plan, ha <laughs> what about those dreams now, mister? All part of God's plan. God's plan will not be thwarted. Think about that for a moment. Think about that for a moment in regards to your own life. God's plan for your life won't be thwarted. God is in control. The little things that we see go on in our life that don't match up to where we think they should be, God is in control. God may allow us to go through those times, but God's ultimate plan is not going to be changed. God's ultimate plan is not going to be changed. We may take detours. We may go through the pits, but God is in control the entire time. It doesn't matter if it's COVID-19, COVID-17, could even be COVID-2020. It's not going to change God's plan. God's plan will not be thwarted. Look at verse 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to the Father. Now, we know who Reuben is. Reuben is the oldest son. Reuben must not have been there when it was all scheming or he didn't speak up when they were scheming. But now that Joseph is there in the presence, Joseph is, or Reuben steps up to help Reuben, or to help Joseph. Reuben steps up to help Joseph. Uh, every time I say Reuben, I think of sandwiches, so my mind kind of gets plogged there. Uh, Reuben is between a rock and a hard place. I almost said between Swiss and rye and corned beef, but I skipped that. Reuben is between a rock and a hard place. If he stands up for Joseph, he's not going to be popular with his brothers. If he lets them kill Joseph, it's going to hurt his father. And so Reuben is in the middle, and maybe he's considering this. Maybe he's thinking about the well-being of his father would be the first time. We saw Reuben uh, and his mistake with his father's concubine. Definitely was not thinking of his father then. Didn't care about his father then. Maybe now he's thinking about his father. Maybe now as the older brother, he's beginning to take care of Joseph and think about Joseph in a different way. But Reuben stands up for Joseph in a sense. 
He said, shed no blood, so he steps up for him. But instead of saying, let him go, he says, throw him into the pit. He'll die there. But he's thinking that he's going to come and he's going to rescue Joseph out of the pit. So Reuben is kind of wishy-washy, not really taking a stand. He's kind of trying to appease everybody and make everybody happy. And that's where he's at. So they see his brother. He comes into their presence, and we see them seize their brother Joseph. Look at verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. Notice that the first thing they did was strip off that robe. This robe had become a symbol of their displeasure. It was a source of their pain, a reminder of their father's favoritism. And that's the first thing they do is strip off that tunic of a supervisor. He's no better than us. He's equal to us. Get that robe off of him. That's their desire. This robe had embittered them. And now that they have this opportunity, the rage that they have is such that they ripped that robe off of him. And that robe really played into the dreams as well. Because if this robe was the robe of a supervisor, he's wearing this supervisor robe, a place of respect, a place of honor, and they have to look up to him. They're not happy about that either. And that's what that dream was all about. It says they took him and they threw him into the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. That's what Reuben told him to do. Hey, let's throw him into the pit. Let's don't kill him. Let's throw him into the pit. So that's what they do. The pit was empty, so he would just be thrown into there. Uh, no way for him to get out. So probably what would happen is he would sit in there, and he would starve, and he would die there. Life might be a bowl full of cherries, but Joseph is literally in the pit, and his brothers threw him in the pit. That's where he is. Unfortunately, we have to leave Joseph in the pit. We'll have to tune in next week to see what happens in the pit. So as we looked at this, we see Joseph searching for the brothers we see the brothers seeing the brother, and we see the brothers seizing the brother. So what do we take home from this? I mean, what applies to our life today as we sit here? I really don't think we can get away from Genesis 1-1. I mean, as we've been going through this study, it's amazing to me how many times I've reminded myself of Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God put it all in motion, and God is in control of the motion. Reading through the book of Joshua, God stopped the sun for a period of time while they went into battle. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is in control of the whole thing. Never a time does God say, whoops, lost control. Sorry about that. Never does that happen. God is in control. And we see the providential hand of God in this story, in this event. 
And you know, if we don't take anything away from this message other than the fact that God's providential hand was in effect, we've taken all we need. God is in control of every detail of this. And even though Joseph's sons are rebelling against God and shaking their fist at God, we don't want your message. We don't want your messenger. God says, oh well. It's going to unfold just like I want it to unfold. God's providential hand is there. As we think about the providential hand of God, as we think about the providence of God, that should help us to be patient when we face adversity. That should help us to be patient when we find ourselves in the bowl full of pits. Because you know what? God is in control. It might be someone's sin. It might be my own sin that brought me to this bowl of pits. But God is in control. This certainly isn't working out like I had planned. <laughs> but my plans don't really matter. God is the planner. God is the one who's in control. God is in control even when we're in the pits. And you know, sometimes God uses our time in the pits as training purposes, for training purposes. Joseph is in the pits for training purposes. When we follow the life of Joseph, we never see Joseph complain. He's like, where are the cherries, man? All I see is pits. Everywhere I look are pits. He faces them again and again and again. Never do we read Joseph complaining. We see Joseph walking looking to God, faced with temptation, looking to God, facing with difficulties, looking to God, looking to receive praises, looking to God. That's where Joseph was at. That's where Joseph is. In this chapter, God is not mentioned a single time. The brothers never once looked to God. Isn't that amazing? how our life can so quickly drift away from where we should be when God is taken out of the picture. When we take God out of the picture, we drift. That's how we do. We're sinners at heart, natural drifters. That's what we are. I should have tried that when I was a kid growing up. My parents asked me, what are you going to do with your life? I'm going to be a drifter. That's what I'm going to be. That's what we are naturally as drifters. If we don't have the motor engaged and empowering towards God, seeking to follow God, as soon as we cut the motor, we're going to drift. That's the way it works every time. Oh, sure, for a little while, we may coast in that direction because our momentum, but it doesn't take long, and we drift away every time. And I'd like to tell you that I read a book about that. But I've been there, done that. I have a t-shirt. That's what happens to us. The brothers turned their back on God, never once turning back to God in this chapter. But you know, as we look at this chapter, God did not abandon Joseph. Joseph was in the pits But God did not abandon Joseph. 
Joseph did not fall into that pit. He followed God's plan. God allowed it to happen because God had a purpose for Joseph. Joseph wasn't going to die in that pit because it wasn't time for Joseph to die yet. God had a plan. God had a purpose. Father, we are so thankful for who you are, so thankful for your word, and Lord, so amazing how applicable your word is to our lives. And Lord, we're so grateful for that fact. So grateful, Lord, that you're in control of all things. So grateful for your son. Sent him into this world knowing how he would be treated, knowing that he would be rejected, but you sent him anyway. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. This week at 9 o'clock, when we stop and pray, let's give thanks to God for his plan. Now, I know where you are in life, maybe, maybe that's a tough thing for you to set and say, thanks for this part of your plan. Sometimes we look and we just see the pit around us. But you know, this could be a training ground for you. God could have great things in store for you. And it's through this pit that develops you into the person that God wants you to be. So this week, let's meditate on that and be thankful for the plan that God has for us.